Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually don't, sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good luck. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> it's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Owen here with Ken and Murph. Hi, Ken and Murph. Hello there, Owen. How are you? Uh, it takes quite a lot to make Manuel Pellegrini angry. That's mm-hmm. Watching his team absolutely ripped apart by Liverpool on Saturday night seemed to do the trick. I am more than angry, in fact, Pellegrini states. It's difficult to understand why we played so poorly. In defence, in attack, in possession. I've never seen my team play in the way they played tonight. It was not one name or another name who was to blame. It was the whole team. It was a complete disaster. Yeah. And he goes on to say that they should have conceded way more goals than they did. So he certainly wasn't sugarcoating it for his players there, Ken. No, but I mean, this kind of keeps happening to them. This is the second time they've lost 4-1 now. And the other time was against Tottenham, who who also are a bit like Liverpool in the sense of being this like uh, insurgent team from um, you know who maybe weren't fancy to get into the Champions League at the start, but suddenly looked to be going very well. Um, and just as with Tottenham, uh, they got run off the field and they looked old and slow and lazy, mm-hmm. and that's not a good. That's not a good combination of things. I thought that I actually thought that Manuel Pellegrini had used up all of the bad things you could call a team but you actually came up with three other things there as well so that's that's well played yeah well I mean and Pellegrini himself didn't really uh, I mean look it's difficult when you're standing next to Jürgen or sitting in the, near your technical area while Jürgen Klopp is bounding around in his technical area most of the managers are beginning to look a little he's making them look bad um, but Pellegrini definitely was quite inert. I mean, there was a moment when they showed him at one point he'd he lolled back in his chair, adopting the Sam Allardyce position. When Sa- the the position Sam Allardyce sometimes gets into when his team are losing three or four nil, and he's just thinking, "What a what a day!" He's practically doing? horizontal. He's yeah. almost lying back on his chair. And even as comfortable as those chairs look, Ken, at that stadium, yeah, I, I know you've fallen asleep on one of them yeah, a game been, many yeah. years ago. They are that comfortable when you sit in that position. Even a chair as comfortable as that. It can't be nice to sit on. I'm no. going to say generally though, Sam Allardyce's posture isn't that good because when he's winning, he also slides into a very almost horizontal uh, position as well, but with a big grin on his face. <laughs> yeah, and he's you know usually laughing at you know Sammy Lee or whoever. As a, yeah, as opposed to the, I mean, he's he's angrily chewing gum in the losing situation, and if he's winning, then he's smiling smugly. Yeah. Um, but Pellegrini was, Pellegrini was doing it and, you know, not a great look. 
for Pellegrini. A, a, t- a tall man whose posture is usually uh, exemplary. Yeah. We'll talk Liverpool City and the fallout from Barcelona's hammering of Real in the Classical on today's show. Before we crack on, though, I just want to let you know about a big night happening this Wednesday. It's a live recording and official launch. I've put those, those in bold in front of me, Murph, and mm-hmm. capitalise them. Official launch of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. It's on the Grand Social in Dublin City Centre from 6.30pm this Wednesday. You can come along, enjoy the night, grab a book, and we'll even throw in an exclusive Second Captain's Christmas hamper. Mm, I went the extra mile uh, just this weekend, actually, on. Uh, to create the second captain's hamper, I just went home and picked up all of the useless shit from hampers that I've given my mother in the past. So it's basically Christmas present hampers from 2008 to the present day combined yeah. for a you know chutney. Uh, it's just chutney. So I'll stop you there. We've all, uh, uh, literally all kinds of hampers. We've raided that your hamper since you brought it up, and we're just yeah. left with some chutney. So the book hopefully okay. will be the selling okay. point of this night. If you want to come along, just email live at secondcaptains.com with the subject tickets. So just put tickets in the subject line there, live at secondcaptains.com. In that email, tell us your name, the number of tickets you want, and what your favourite book or annual was as a child, and why. Just explain why that was your favourite book or annual. We've only got a limited number of tickets, but if you miss out, don't worry. We'll hang around afterwards if you want to pop in from 8 o'clock to pick up an annual. We can even sign the thing for you. Mm. Unless you feel getting it signed will actually ruin your beautiful new book. Yeah, it's which kind of I, I'm inclined to think it might. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, but a lot of people have asked us to autograph these books, and that's fine. Uh, if you want some uh, barely legible graffiti all over your book, we would be happy to to present you with said graffiti. That's this Wednesday, November 25th. Email live at secondcaptains.com with tickets in the subject line. Time now for the report on sport. So on Saturday uh, evening, mm-hmm. what you referred to as uh, El Clasico was... You could have delivered it better than that. He purposely mispronounced your brilliant pun there. I didn't. No, that is the pun. El Clasico. Clasico. No, I, I don't think he... That's what it was. Well... Just back in your box there. You, you honestly don't know what you're talking about. I'm glad Ken's <laughs> come around to my pun because you didn't seem to enjoy it that much at the time. But maybe it was the Twitter fire that was lit. <laughs> there are a lot of people two, got in touch with all the Two tweets congratulating you on my pun. One tweet. Call me an idiot. Listen, it's fine. <laughs> Divide opinion when you say controversial things. But it, it was. It turned out to be um, maybe two of the best eras of football of the season so far. Uh, starting off with the uh, Barcelona playing away to Real Madrid and then Liverpool at Manchester City. Um, two absolutely brilliant games. Two stunning results. And uh, really a pretty enjoyable way to sit there watching two matches at the same time. Um uh, I was caught watching one, Ken. Really? Like, yeah, it arranged to meet up with a friend who supports Liverpool. Okay. But is also Leo Messi's biggest fan, so therefore... So you got stuck watching Liverpool because Messi was on the bench. Yeah, that was enough to swing it for him. In fact, he said he would have watched, even if Messi was starting, he felt he would have gone with... Which I thought was interesting, because, you know, in the last number of years, there is this idea that people follow footballers more so than teams, mm. necessarily. That, that there is this growing trend that you support these great players. Usually Messi, actually, when people are propagating this theory but no no still Liverpool I was happy actually very happy with the decision in the end given how amazing the Liverpool game was yeah it, it was pretty good but I mean honestly this this uh, Barcelona performance was, was incredible I mean I you know was thinking about it it's 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 when Real Madrid lose like this it's always so it's just so much fun to see who is getting the blame because there's so much blame so many potential victims uh, that you know who's <laughs> who who's going to get it and well, the it was interesting that the fans in in Madrid had, uh, as one with one voice, uh, turned to point the finger at the president. Mm. 
so uh, Florentino Demission, they were singing, uh, i.e. resign, leave, uh, get away from us. <laughs> We've seen enough. We've seen enough of this. Uh, Florentino Perez is now uh, on a run of one league title in nine seasons, because it does look as though this isn't going to be Real Madrid's season once again. I mean, the, the Barcelona team are so much better than them. It's, you know, it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. I mean, you could you could tell, I think, if you watched uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's behaviour in the game, I mean, he was probably the worst Real Madrid player. I mean, there was a lot of bad players, but he was probably the worst. But his whole attitude was was almost, he was disowning the whole thing. He was kind of like, I can't believe what's become of this place, but I'm certainly not going to, you know, make myself look like an idiot by running around thinking we've got a chance to win in this game, because we don't. And he was kind of projecting that from the outset. And, I mean, it's not a, it's not a great look for this kind of totemic player in your team to, to, be, to have that attitude, but that's what Cristiano Ronaldo was doing. Um, you know, I, I st- but I mean, I think he, in a way he was probably right. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he probably, not that he should have done that, but his estimation of the relative abilities of these two teams was bang on the money. It wasn't too surprising that he reacted that way, put it that way. No, um, no, it wasn't. But, you know, I mean, it, again, he doesn't really look right. I mean, you, you're supposed to, you, you need to show a little bit more than that. Even if you know you're going to lose, you need to, you can't just put your hands on your hips and say, well, that's it. The, you sen- know? the sense I'm getting from the weekend is that in terms of the scapegoats, and you wrote about Madrid fans' love of scapegoating people, yeah. usually the manager, the list in order at the moment seems to be Perez number one, actually, just above Benitez. Maybe Benitez and Bale are around level, or they don't care enough about Bale to really scapegoat him. And then Ronaldo doesn't seem to be suffering too much just yet from the, mm. the, the turn of public opinion, although that will increase if he continues to underperform. I think with Ronaldo, you know, I mean, you, you have to be aware of what he's done for the club. I mean, you, you, you know, <laughs> you'd be seriously ungrateful to just disregard that. But, you know, he has been playing. I mean, it's, I think he's failed to score nine out of 13 matches in the statistics. Um, circulating about him, which is which is poor. I mean, he scored five goals in one game, but that's the only reason that his goal-scoring statistics don't look like they've dropped off a cliff. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, Bale, is, Bale just seems to be puzzling everybody in Madrid. You know, this guy doesn't really seem to get what he's supposed to do. I mean, he was playing supposedly in the position he wants to play in, you know, kind of behind strikers. Can't seem to do it. Um, didn't certainly didn't make life difficult for Busquets anyway. The midfield that they have, I think Tony Kroos. Someone's gonna someone's gonna pick up Tony Kroos at the end of this season because Real Madrid are bored with him already, and he's not exactly Mister Dynamism either. If you've got Luka Modric, then do you really need Tony Kroos? Tony Kroos never gives the ball away, but like, does he do anything else? Um, I think maybe he would be. In, he's he's moving into that category of really good player that. Uh, Madrid and Barcelona get rid of Arjen Robin, you know uh, Alonso would be the most Alexis direct Sanchez, comparison probably Xabi Alonso exactly yeah. the middle 10 players in every classical are always you know you're always keeping an eye on them if you're Chelsea Manchester United Arsenal yeah. obviously you can forget about the, the best five forget about them but there's like a real there's like a core fleshy part of the classical that uh, that uh, these clubs are always keeping it the water carriers Murph yeah, water carriers like Xabi Alonso and yeah, yeah, Tony yeah. Kroos. Your basic, you know, run of the mill world class footballer. Yeah, so I, I, I do think Kroos is in that category because you know, I mean, he's not really a defence midfielder. See, this is the interesting thing about it. Um, the the focus of, from the Madrid media is all on Madrid, 
Like the fact is, they were just blown away by a team that's so much better than them. Um, the that that was unanswerable. They couldn't possibly have beaten them. They couldn't have stopped them. You're up against Neymar, Suarez, and yes, they're playing like this. They're gonna beat you. It was basically like uh, a five-a-side game where you realise about ten minutes in, oh, the teams are completely. Ah, <sighs> yeah. uh, look, look what we've done. We've actually stopped all of the best players on one team. So yeah. after well, after it's three 0 it's like Real Madrid should have just called Neymar over and go right. We're gonna break stick this up. A, yeah, stick a bit. Yeah, but nobody on ever Neymar does that there. in five aside. What you do if you're on the receiving end there, even if you're eight 0 down, you say no, 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 it's fine, it's grand, we'll be all right. No, no, we got this. Yeah, it's, it's fine. We got it's, this. Come on, we're, you, we had you rattled right there until you stuck three really quick goals past us. Well, that's what you would do. That's what you would do. Uh, you would be like uh, Isco. <laughs> you you be Isco and just I'd be more Ronaldo. You like, yeah, Ronaldo. Okay, we definitely will yeah. take Neymar. Yeah, yeah this is this rubbish. We need a couple of extra players. Well, Mur- here. Murphy will become disinterested by this stage anyway. Oh yeah, Again, Ronaldo style. Yeah, Ronaldo just spreading negativity. Oh, you know, oh, this is just with this kind of moany face. Like, oh no, this is just oh. like I'm not wasting my morning with this. You know, yeah. like I come out here to have some fun. What the hell is this? Yeah, I mean, he was up there with Benzema. I mean, he was the thing. Ronaldo's supposed to be playing in a position that he likes. You know, Benzema is the kind of centre forward. By the way, what's Karim Benzema's headspace mm. in that game? I mean, I don't know if he should have been playing in the game. But this is the, the question. I mean, you know, I mean, this, he's been through quite a lot in recent times, also coming back from an injury, but mainly this... this uh, Sex tape. Whatever about, the, whatever about the rights and wrongs with this, that, and there do seem to be more wrongs than rights, mm. uh, Benzema does come across in the transcript as the this, this stupidest man in football. Really? Football's dumbest man. Karen Benzema. We can kind of say that. I feel fairly. I feel like I'm on safe. Uh, I'm on safe ground saying that he's right. very stupid. Um, and I can't... that may well be the cornerstone of the man's defense. <laughs> it, probably, <laughs> it probably will be. So, I mean... uh, <laughs> uh, whether he should have been playing, I don't know. But this then it leads back to this question of well, what kind of team is Rafael Benitez picking here? Because Benitez is, is a manager who does not like to pick a team that doesn't have a natural defensive player in midfield. In fact, he usually likes to have two. And if he's in a difficult game like that, his priority is always, these games are always, the most important thing is balance. Uh, the most important thing is stay in the game and you can maybe make it, you know, patience, balance, control. Um, not, oh yeah, let's just pick all the, um, you know, dribbly famous guys and tell them to work it out for themselves. You know, be a piano and shine. That's not the Rafael Benitez way. So what's he doing? Picking this team, which is, you know, Ronaldo, Bale. You know Ronaldo's not going to run. You know Bale doesn't know how to defend. I mean, he'll run around, but into the wrong places. And then Benzema, maybe not, you know, 100% focused on this game. James Rodriguez, you know, nice player, but, yeah. The World Cup maybe gave us some false impressions. Ah, lovely, lovely player, but he's not going to make life too difficult for the opposing team. You know, he likes to play football. He likes to play good football with the ball. And he, when the other team has the ball, he likes to stand watching them. And, and he's a great appreciator of what they do with the ball as well. You know, he's not partisan that way. <laughs> uh, you've got Tony Crows, who's, again, a good player when you're in possession. Modric, another good player in possession. And then, you know, your defense. Sergio Ramos, he's going to find a, an... He has an irresistible impulse to rush forward and get involved in any situations he sees happening in midfield. Ideally, you want another guy there. Ideally, you want a guy there taking care of those situations. So Sergio Ramos doesn't feel that. He may still feel the need to come and help, but at least he's not going to rush forward. I mean, that's exactly how the first goal ultimately happened. 
Ramos saw a guy who's essentially unmarked in front of him, runs out to try and confront that guy. Suarez uh, moves into the position. Ramos is vacated. Yeah, he was quite exposed, though, by that stage. Oh, so, no, he was totally exposed. Yeah. He was totally exposed. I don't know if he had That's much option, but... Uh, his, option would have been, his option would have been to do nothing. His option would have been to stick with... Yeah, that, I mean, in which case he's exposed, but what's Sergio Roberto going to do? He makes it a bit more difficult. Instead, he runs out, tries to, tries to clobber Sergio Roberto before he has a chance to do anything. It's proactive defending, I suppose. But Sergio Ramos's love of proactive defending is such that he's often best when someone is there doing the, you know, so he doesn't have the temptation to go for the most proactive option all the time, you know, and doesn't have to, doesn't leave a, a three-man line with a big 40-meter gap in the middle of it, you know what I mean, or 20-meter gap in the middle. So... Uh, the question would be, why is Rafael Benitez doing this? Why has he picked this theme? Because it's not a Rafael Benitez-type team. And the answer appears to be that he felt if he picked a Rafa type of team, you know, leave out... To be honest, if he was picking the team, he'd leave out Ronaldo. <laughs> he'd say, sorry, Cristiano, but frankly, your performances have been a disgrace. Uh, I know that you're not going to run. I just don't think this is a game for you. The Classico. We need you fresh for the big one against Granada next week. Yeah. I mean, I know that I'll, I'll put you in there and you'll score a few goals, but frankly, a player who just walks around with his hands on his hips and looking sulky is not the type of player I need against Barcelona. I feel that he would probably leave him out. Maybe uh, maybe he'd still play Benzema, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be playing James Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if he picked that type of team, then maybe the chanting would have started a bit earlier and it would have been a different person who the crowd were screaming for rather than Perez. Instead, he picked the team that Florentino Perez would have wanted. Um, and what's he doing there? Is he kind of saying, okay, you know, I am Rafa Benitez, I finally have my dream job and I'm so desperate to cling to this job that I'll do anything to keep it, including abandoning all of my principles on the game? Or is he saying, here's the team you wanted, Look what happens to it. I'd say there could be an element of that. Funny, well, I just find it unlikely to think that Benitez would bow to that sort of pressure. Benitez's career has been made, or maybe broken in certain cases, on arguing with his bosses. Mm. It happened at Valencia, it happened at, um, happened at Liverpool, it happened at Chelsea. Well, he seemed to actually get on okay. Got on okay with the bosses. Sur- sur- surprisingly, he didn't get yeah, on with the their fans. boss. So, the, right. so it'd be strange that he goes to... Uh, goes to Madrid and decides, okay, well, I know this club so well and I know that they're not going to let me... Uh, I'll just bow to the uh, admit defeat, essentially, in the power play here. He's a guy who likes arguing with bosses, mm. unlike Ancelotti, for example. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the, the thing, though. Is he... Does Benitez, having, for instance, argued with his boss at Inter and lost the job after just a couple Inter, of months, of course, yeah. um, do, uh, you know, having lost his job at Liverpool, arguing with his bosses, is he, is he thinking, you know, maybe he sat down with, with Monse Benitez at some point... And she said to him, listen, Rafi, you know the way you're kind of hard competitive? <laughs> Have you ever considered no, that you're, you're not exactly, you're not always right about everything? Sometimes maybe you need to see the other guy's point of view. He presents a, a list of times that she was wrong in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe he's learned from, maybe he's looked back and thought, well, I need, to, I need to be a bit more flexible, a bit more accommodating. Either way, though, I mean, if he either, number one, he abandoned his principles to try and Please, the president with the team section, or number two said, "Okay, this is what you want." Yeah, then you'll you'll have it. It doesn't reflect well on him. He's still not picking the right team to no, win the game. Exactly what he should do, what he should be doing, is picking the team he thinks is going to win. That's his job. And if the team he thinks is going to win happens to be at odds with Real Madrid's idea of themselves and the president's, like, well, then 
then maybe he's just not the right man to be the manager of Real Madrid. You know, maybe they just want some kind of fantasy figure, you know, out of a telenovela, not Rafa Benitez. He's a real, he's a real figure. You're not going to see a guy like this in a Mexican soap opera. You know what I mean? He's not uh, in that, he's not from that world. You know what I mean? Um, one way or the other, it didn't work out. Uh, I don't know how, how much longer he's going to be there. Uh, we'll talk to Dermot Corrigan uh, in a little while. He was, he was there and he'll, uh, he'll tell us what he, what he made of the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the main thing there was just, I don't think anyone would have been able to stop Arsenal. The way that they were playing no. was just too good. Um, now, where are we? Uh, Ancelotti? Were you going to talk about Carlos? Ancelotti, the man who everybody wants back. Because uh, <laughs> loads of Real Madrid fans are at the moment saying, come back, Ancelotti. Uh, Ancelotti, who was in many ways the ideal manager for Real Madrid, given, that, given what, the way they want to build the club, you know, have all these kind of top players. Um, I think he's really good at managing a group of players like that. Um, they sack them because they they sack everyone. They just use up managers after a certain amount of time. Um, but maybe they'll take him back. Chelsea, of course. Uh, I don't know how many Chelsea fans want him back. Um, Roma want him back. <laughs> and Milan. He's just saying, I would love to return to Roma one day. I love Roma and the city. I would also like to return to Milan at some point. Ancelotti. <laughs> I came close to going back this summer, but I need to take some time off. Um, it is, it's interesting that I can't think of another guy who seems to be missed by all his former clubs to such an extent. But he's um, just such a charming man, though. Isn't that it? Yeah. And a good manager with the right players. Everybody sort of, uh, everybody likes Carlo. Uh, although Jose Mourinho has managed to, um, you know, he's obviously got a win. Finally, it was a 1-0 win. It was kind of a... Uh, let's say a piece of quick thinking for the goal by by Chelsea Fabregas and Diego Costa working a quick free kick. Diego Costa managing to score. Uh, Mourinho uh, finally getting this victory that he really needed. Fourth position for me is not an impossible mission. If you ask me about winning the title, I would say impossible mission. Maybe Tom Cruise can do it, but it's complicated. Uh, you have to recover points from four candidates, says Mourinho. Basically, he's saying, yeah, one of the teams in the top four is going to collapse. Sure. All four of them, unlikely. Um, but yeah, Champions League, he reckons he can do it, so I'm, I'm not sure. He didn't mention any of the big European Rugby Champions Cup results? No. <laughs> he only watches the World Cup, forgets that England or English teams are back, they're winning all these games? Yeah, I don't think he cares about the Champions Cup no. at all. At least he hasn't. If he starts talking about the Champions Cup, <laughs> that, will, that really will be interesting. Well. <laughs> the Leinster Ulster game. I'm sorry, I haven't done a lot of preparation for this game. I was up late watching Leinster Ulster <laughs> in the Pro 12. Yeah. What I want from Fabregas is to just yeah, a bit of the pace that Christian Wade has on the wing there mm. for us. I just need him to inject some of that into his game. Yeah. Is it a sentence that Mourinho probably won't understand? I really hope to hear that from him one day. Um, so, where are we? The big um, game, I guess, over the weekend was this stunning uh, result at Manchester City, Liverpool winning 4 1 there. Um, I just hope we can win a game like this at Anfield, says Jurgen Klopp. That's the next challenge. Klopp did a very good interview on NBC after the game. They did this kind of pitch side interview. Everyone was gone home. You know, the stadium's empty. It's Klopp, Lee Dixon, Graham Lassau, and presenter. Uh, and they're saying, so, you know, he was like, well, you know, I went in at half time and was looking at them and I was like, it kind of looks like you're all very surprised to be winning this game 3 <laughs> 1. You know, I mean, don't worry about it like that sometimes that can happen you know if you play well um, talked about why he'd left why he'd gone with Firmino because obviously Benteke was on the bench mm. and he said well the thing was that Coutinho and Firmino were both dropped by Brazil so they were both 
left at home for a couple of weeks. So Klopp was actually able to work with them. He's like, okay, we've got a bit of training. We can do a bit of training now. And most of, a lot of the players are in international duty, but those guys weren't. So that's why he, he said this is why he went with them. And it was honestly absolutely fantastic interplay from these guys. Yeah, amazing. Um, you know, running the pace, they're able to run at both with and without the ball. The angles that Firmino was running at, particularly like, uh, I mean, you know that Coutinho can find a pass, can find a pass that can pick out a runner. But the runner has to sometimes make the run as well. Has to show him where the where he needs the ball to go. Firmino was doing it expertly. Yeah. I mean, again and again, could have scored several goals. I mean, Joe Hart had a couple of great saves from him. But I mean, it's just the difference between this and what was happening under Rodgers is just well, yeah, certainly what was happening in the latter part under Rodgers. It's absolutely fair well, to say they were playing some sort of post pretty post, good stuff. Post Suarez, yeah. Rodgers. I mean, Suarez is a player who who I think can do that. You know, I mean, there's quite a few clips of him at the moment now playing for Barcelona and you see him kind of ordering around the the Barcelona players mm. the little the junior players so, uh, you're Neymar's of this world not not Neymar no no he he Neymar I, I think it would be a bit patronizing as far as this indicates to Neymar where he needs to go he kind of trusts him to work that out but you know um you're Sergio Roberto's mm. let's say and you know where the the ball is in midfield. He's kind of looking around, and then he kind of points to the guy. You know, you you go here, I'm going here, and they kind of run in an X shape, and suddenly they've got a tap in, right? They've uh, a three on two materializes, then a, a ball across the face of the goal, and the guy's free at the far post, right? He's engineering these situations all the time. He's like seeing through the matrix. You know what I mean? He's Neo. He's seeing through the matrix. Liverpool had that going for them for a while. Uh, and then once he was gone, they didn't they didn't know what they were doing anymore. Rogers was kind of looking at possession. It's exactly the opposite of what Klopp is doing. Klopp is like, well, possession doesn't matter at all. Liverpool thirty seven percent possession, I think, against Manchester City. Mm. Um, what matters is you know what you're doing when you're on the ball. And uh, I mean, already more wins. I think more away wins against the top four, if the top four are Chelsea and the two Manchester clubs in Arsenal, than Rogers had in his entire time at Liverpool. I mean, that's a stunning, uh, that's a really stunning statistic. That's it for Kennedy's Report on Sport. Dermot Cargan is in Madrid, Dermot, and I'd say it's it must be a fun day to be covering Real Madrid after weekends like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty entertaining, all right, um, with, with all that's going on. You get kept pretty busy because of all the different stories that come out, the rumours that come out, the leaks that come out. But yeah, it's one of the more uh, entertaining times to, to be doing well, the job. What are the most convincing rumours and leaks that have come out then? Uh, well, this, it's hard to know how convincing they are, but the, the story is that Florentino 
wants to, in public anyway, be seen to be backing Benitez and more against the players. The idea, like he's the one who's been most signaled by what happened at the weekend. I think Benitez, because of the team he picked and because of the guy he is, the fans more turned against Florentino, who's seen as Florentino's team. And Florentino now, he might even call early elections to, to try and head off any um, challengers as president that, that might come out of, of a crisis that happens. And as well as that, he's talking about shaking up the squad, showing some of the bigger egos in the dressing room who's the boss, which could mean Cristiano Ronaldo's time at the club. He'd be the, he'd be the easiest one to take on and maybe force out. So there'll be kind of rumours coming out about how Cristiano's maybe a bad egg, how he's, he's not doing so well in the dressing room, how he's leading the players astray. And that's the kind of thing we're, we're expecting to see. Yeah, Ronaldo's been an absolute nightmare for Real Madrid to deal with over the last six years. It has to be said, uh, a bad egg leading the players astray is all sounds pretty convincing. Yeah, he has been not so good so far this season. You know, the, the stuff that's coming out, all the flirting with PSG, he's not playing well. Like he, He's kind of... He's taken as a symbol of what was wrong with the team at the weekend, that there's too many big ego attackers waiting, hanging around the penalty box for, for chances to score while the, the midfielder getting totally overrun by Barcelona. He didn't have a great game. He had maybe a better game that, than Bale had, but he still didn't have a good game. I actually, thought, I actually thought Bale had a better game than him, to be honest. I mean, at least Bale put some decent balls into the box. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, all he did was miss chances and stand there with his hands on his hips, sulking. Yeah, Bale, because Bale is playing this kind of number 10 role, or the whole team has been, been jigged around a little bit so that Bale can be the, the playmaker or, or the guy who, who plays centrally behind the attack. But a, a lot of the problem that was wrong with the team, and you saw it especially with the second goal, was that Modric, in that case, or Cruz as well, gets the ball and looks up, and they've nobody to pass to because everybody's heading forward. You know Ronaldo's going to head for the box and, and he's going to be on the end of it. But if Bale really is this guy who's going to be the, the leader of the team or a playmaker in the team, you'd expect him to come, get the ball, pass it around a bit, help out as well when, when Barca had, had the ball in possession, looked at, to get in on Busquets or Iniesta or whatever. And he just didn't really do that at all. Well, for Bale, it's got to be hard to become the leader of that team. If it does happen that per, per, that Perez bounces Ronaldo out of there, if you don't even speak the language as Bale doesn't, surely you're going to struggle. David Moyes' excuse was, well, I got to do a couple of lessons a week, but I didn't really become fluent because there's so much attached to being a manager of a club and I was very busy, etc., Bale doesn't even have that excuse. And yet, according to his, himself in, in recent days, he still doesn't speak the language. Yeah, he's, he's still kind of isolated in his, his cocoon. He was tweeting about Nando's, the, the, the chicken restaurant there last week, about how he was missing it, which wasn't really, you know, you could be tweeting about Hamon or something and it'd go down a, that, a lot sorry, better. But, but that's pathetic, Dermot. I mean, it's just pathetic. It's no wonder that this guy apparently has no respect yeah, from he's, people like Sergio He's living Ramos. in Madrid. I mean, it, it is possible to get... Come on, like, is he, is he, what is he, like, eight years old? This is this is ridiculous. He's supposed to be leading one of the biggest football clubs in the world and he's, and he's pining for Nando's. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it, and it goes back to, it reflects pretty badly on Florentino because Florentino's put a lot of, of faith in him. He's he signed him as the world's most expensive player. He said, I want, pretty much clear, he's told Benitez he wants him to play in a central role in the team. He wants to be able to, to take over from Ronaldo. And that's just been a total disaster. Bale himself hasn't done, you know, for what Bale is, he hasn't done that badly. He scored some huge goals in finals. His, his stats aren't so bad, but he's just not that top-level, marquee, galactico-type team oh, leader. For, for you team see, Madrid. you used that phrase there, Dermot, for what Bale is. What do you mean by that? I mean, he's a pretty good player, but he's not one of the, the very, very best players in the world. He's not a Ronaldo or a Messi or a Neymar. He's not a, if you're Madrid and you want to have the very best team in the world and you can sign whoever you want and you have all the money, 
Bale's just a little bit below, I think, the, the type of player that you're going to build a team around. I think Bale is an absolutely phenomenal player. And this is part of the problem in that, in, that in Spain, he's not appreciated for what he is. I mean, I don't know what they're trying to do. I, I think Bale seems to be a bit of a confused young man as well. He's saying he's very happy in, in Spain where he doesn't speak the language and can't eat, eat Nando's. He wants to play behind the strikers, even though he appears to have no idea uh, what to do when he's, when he's put there. I do think that he's a phenomenal player, though. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one. I remember Luis Suarez uh, picked Bale as, as the best player in the, well, in the Premier League. Okay, he was only up against other Premier League players. But, you know, I mean, he was, you know, when, when Gareth Bale is in a team that gives him a bit of respect and, rec- and, and allows him to do what he is good at, rather than looking at him going, this guy can't, you know, can't play tiki-tack and he can't even speak Spanish. You know, I think, I think he's in the wrong environment there. I actually think he's completely wasting his time there. He should go back to the Premier League and play for one of the big teams there. I, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, I'm not saying he's a bad player at all. I'm just saying he's not the player that Florentino wanted or that Florentino was trying to make out that, that he is. I, I could easily see him going back to, to the Premier League and being the best player again and, and scoring a lot of goals there. But at Madrid, it, it's just not working out for him. And that goes to the, the problems that, that are in the team that they think they can, just because somebody is a great player and scores lots of goals, they just put a load of them into the team at the same time that they're going to have a, a great team. Modric is another guy who, who's come from the Premier League who didn't speak Spanish, obviously, when he arrived here. And he's been here a year longer than Bale, like three years as opposed to two years. And he spoke on the telly in Spanish after the game, like about an hour and a half or so after the game, after he'd had a bit of time to think about it, and gave some really, really heartfelt, really, really strong comments about how we didn't play as a team. It's not the first time this has happened. When we play as a team and everybody fights together and everybody does their jobs, we're a good team. We can take on anybody. But on Saturday, we weren't a team. He didn't... He, he knew he was kind of saying, signaling the guy saying that when everybody tries and everybody works hard, we can do it. But it's just going wrong, and they know what's going wrong, but they just can't seem to fix it. Dermot, I wonder when Modric says that. It sounds like he's talking about Ronaldo, really. I mean, but I know that earlier on, I, I uh, you said, oh, there's going to be stories about Ronaldo saying he's a bad egg. I don't believe Ronaldo's a bad egg. He did, however, have a stinker of a game, and as he said, there's been a few of them recently. And when Modric says we didn't play as a team, we didn't all work for each other. I mean, who else is he talking about there, really? Yeah, I'd say Modric, maybe Bale as well. Benzema had a bit of a shocker. You wonder kind of why Benzema was put into the team. Benzema on full form is perfect for them, but the way he's, things have gone for him at the minute, you know, with the, the legal issues and everything, he, he didn't seem to be so focused on the game. But yeah, Ronaldo is the, he's the leader in the game. He was the guy who was being whistled by the, the runabout of the players, not so much Bale or not so much Benzema or anybody. And yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that if you're Ronaldo and you say you're the best player in the world, then there's a lot of responsibility comes with that as well. Not just scoring goals. It's about leading the team. It's about coming back and, and when things are going against your team to be able to get involved in the game, to put things right, to start to, to shift the momentum. As you know, Messi would, would do or as Neymar has done for Barcelona in, in some games recently. But there was no sign of that really from, from Ronaldo. He had a few chances and you know the Bravo made a few good saves. But yeah, if you're looking to, to find out why what's going wrong at Madrid or what, what the, the real problem was it was that the guys up front weren't coming back and Ronaldo is the, the guy who's going to get signalled out there. We barely even mentioned Barcelona. I can't, I can't actually decide which my favourite goal was. I really enjoyed Iniesta's. But that first goal by Suarez, just the entire build-up to it, it, it was as though it was a microcosm of everything they were doing to Real. First of all, if not silencing their fans and getting their fans uh, to boo their patient build-up play, they were doing that sort of walking pace thing that Barcelona do now while they're 
dragging the Real Madrid team all over the place. Then a couple of uh, incisive passes and unbelievable finish by Suarez. Are they getting to a level now that they're as good as they, they've been over the last 10 years? Yeah, I think so. I think it was it was the best performance under Luis Enrique. And Luis Enrique really comes out of it as as the guy who, who did it because Messi was, was injured. And because last year when everybody was, or when the three guys up front were scoring all the goals, there was a little bit of a feeling that maybe, well, you know, Luis Enrique, he's it's not so hard to be the Barca coach when you have such good players. But the, the performance at the weekend, you had the first goal, which was very like an old-style Barca goal where you have the... The, um, the yeah, so many passes and you know Bale and and Modric and these guys trying to run around and just getting pulled completely out of position. Ramos as well, and then the second goal where you had the guys you know pouncing on Modric, you know four different players coming to him and the ball being moved straight to, to Neymar to score was a real Luis Enrique kind of counter attack goal. So that everything just came together for them. You know I, we say Madrid played horribly bad and it went really bad. Barca did play really really well and it was probably like the best performance of of the last couple of years for them. Well, I mean, you mentioned all the storylines, the competing storylines around the game. Have you seen that storyline anywhere in the Madrid media? Barcelona are just better than us. <laughs> uh, their, their players better are players, way better are players. way better than our players. We bought all the wrong guys. We should have bought Suarez. We should have bought Neymar. It looks like it's going to be a dark few years for Real Madrid. Uh, no, that, that's hidden on page 47, I think, just down the bottom of market this morning. All right, brilliant stuff. Dermot, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Can you seem particularly put out that Gareth Bale misses his Nando's? Is that because you feel, as I do, that Nando's chicken is... Mediocre. Yeah, I'm, I'm just surprised at how popular it appears to be, even among sports people. Mm. Uh, I've read a, more than one Lancer rugby player talking about their lovely trips to Nando's. I wouldn't have thought it was the healthiest food for sports people for a start. Of course, there was the Adnan could be wrong. There could be healthy. Well. What was the Adnan Yanazai story? Oh, just that he, he uh, brought a girl for uh, on a date to Nando's. <laughs> right, I don't and, know. And uh, Manchester United dressing room got wind of this and flagged him mercilessly about you know him earning 40 grand a week or whatever <laughs> for bringing a girl to They love it. Well, I mean, said, I Gareth Bale earns more than that, and he still misses. He his still pines for Nando's. Nando's well, yeah. I wonder. I, I mean, I kind of assume that Nando's might be might have uh, deals with a couple of these guys. I mean, it can't just be they can't just be doing it for free, can they? I mean, I don't know if Gareth Bale is, is tweeting on behalf of Nando's. His tweet though literally was, "A mate just sent me this," and it's a picture of like a Nando's. Just like, not of, not of the food, not like an Instagram, an artfully filtered Instagram thing of, the, of a plate of Nando's food, but like of a, of a drab Nando's storefront, the type of which you see on every high street, <laughs> you know, in every, in every mediocre town in, you know, across the, across the UK. But you see them in Dublin now too. Okay? Oh, you see them, you bloody well see them here as well. But, you know. I just think to, to be to, even to say he mentioned he missed Turkish delight and all. I know he's just talking trivia, but like I just don't know. He he went on about how he's obsessed with golf as well. I'm like, don't be obsessed with golf. Be obsessed with football. Don't waste your time playing golf. You like if you think that you're uh, remotely of a level where you you think you can achieve the ambitions you say that you have, you're wrong. Will you share that? Antipathy towards golf with Gordon Strachan, Scotland manager. It's a waste of time. He it's feels a total that, waste he of feels time. not only is a waste of time for a current footballer, but it's actually a waste of energy, and that they yeah. can't f- fulfil their thing. I'm, I, I think you should let the lad play a few rounds of golf. Yeah, if you if you want to play a few rounds of golf, fine. But Bale says I'm obsessed with golf. I'm like, don't be obsessed with that. Figure out what you're supposed to be doing in the field. That would be a much more productive use of your time. I'm obsessed with Florentino Perez, who has called a press conference, Ken, just in the last couple of moments. Um, yeah, he has. Uh, there's a press conference for tonight. What's the time? Seven thirty. Thirty Spanish time. Um, 
It's seven thirty Spanish time. Yeah. yeah, so half six today. And and you would imagine at this point that's probably going to be to announce the sacking of Rafael Benitez. I mean, I don't know what else it could be for. Maybe Florentino Perez is going to resign. Doubt it. Uh, I mean, he's done it before, but I, I'm not sure he's going to do it again. You, you, you'd expect it's probably Benitez. Maybe he's opening a Nando's. Maybe he said, I've, 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 I've read the recent reports of Gareth Bale's sadness. I'm going to try and help, it, help him out because you know, we want to try and meet him halfway yeah. here in Madrid. Just the whole tapas style of eating doesn't seem to suit him. We'll, we'll just, I, just, just, just chicken down. Come on, it's, it's, it's just juvenile. I know Bale's agent has, has, has said a few things like, oh, Gareth, you know, he needs to, they should pass him the ball and he should be given a more central role in the team. I'm just like, he, I don't think he, he's warranting it. I think he's a brilliant player, but is he better now than he was when he, he's at Tottenham? I don't see it. He looks worse. He looks worse to me. I think he's a fish out of water there now. And... If I was him, I would get back to where the where the Nandos will will surround him, and he won't be distracted by these type of things, and he can get back to being the player that he could have could have become. All right, let's talk about Liverpool's amazing victory over Manchester City. A lot of things to talk about from this game, John Brew, not the least of which is that it stripped away the veneer of calm that Manuel Manuel Pellegrini has spent a career building up. He seemed angry. He did. He did. I mean, the funny thing is about Manuel Pellegrini is that even when he is saying things like a complete disaster, I am so angry, he still doesn't sound that angry. Mm. Uh, (laughs) But um, reading back the transcripts after listening to him speak, uh, he was clearly very, very angry. Um, He was also angry with journalists who dared to question his, well, very questionable team selection. Um, City... uh, are the team with the most, the uh, richest, the deepest resources in English football. They've got the best squad in English football. But they've suffered two defeats, 4-1 to Tottenham and 4-1 to Liverpool, that suggest that they really aren't, um, that there is something wrong there. There's something wrong. There's something flaky about them. And Pellegrini um, is a manager who, okay, he signed a new contract uh, in the summer just gone, but he's someone who's under some pressure. Uh, and will be with the amount of money spent. And uh, his team really did not show up on Saturday at all. Well, I, I think there's a kind of a general feeling with Pellegrini that he's this is probably his last season. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a, maybe he's a bit of a lame duck for that reason. But you know, it's I mean, it's not as though even if he, even if he didn't win the league this year, it's, you, you look at his record at City and go, it's not too bad. I mean, the point about him is though, even if even if this is his last season, the last year of a three year cycle, those. Uh, players at Manchester City, presumably it's not all their last season as well. I mean, they uh, should be, I'm not saying a self-managing team, but they definitely should not be going out and allowing themselves to get beaten 4-1 twice in one season, never mind in in just a couple of weeks. I mean, the problem goes far beyond Manuel Pellegrini. Yes, it does. It does. And I think one of the issues with City is that it's essentially you know a club of uh, imports. Um, we, I mean, there, there are very few players breaking through from City. You could say you could say the same thing about Liverpool, though. I mean, you know, yes. Liverpool's, you know, the manager from the manager down to all the the best players. I mean, there was a couple of, you know, I mean, I suppose James Milner. I'm trying to think through the team at the moment, but you know, it was mainly Brazilians who were who were doing the damage. They seemed much more motivated than City's ones. Okay, well, in that case, the motivation has to be brought into question. I think, but in terms of motivating the team. Uh, Vincent Company uh, was sat in the stands. Now, I think if you look at the statistics of Company in the team and Company not in the team, then it's pretty damning. It's pretty damning. But I have to say that Pellegrini didn't help himself by 
not playing Nicholas Otamendi, who has actually been rather good in recent weeks, uh, and pairing Elokrim Mangala, who uh, was disastrous, with Martin Di Michaelis, who um, can be disastrous uh, and has been in recent weeks as well. Um, Pellegrini didn't help himself, but yeah, you do have to question the heart of some of the players. Uh, and obviously Joe Hart um, is, for want of a better phrase, the only beating heart of the team that really seems to won that game. He had actually had quite a decent match. Um, the rest of that team disappeared from the contest, apart from Sergio Aguero, who was playing, you have to say, under half fit. But he was having a go. Uh, he was getting involved in niggles with Martin Skirtle and uh, Dejan Lovren. But I didn't see any of that from the rest of the team. And uh, you have to actually include Raheem Sterling in those that were missing from the game. Yeah, and the, the thought did strike me watching it that the way Liverpool are set up now might quite suit a guy of Raheem Sterling's energy and technical ability. Maybe if, he, if he'd hung around a little bit longer, it might have worked out for him at Liverpool. But one of those Man City players that disappeared was Yaya Torre. And I know... Tory himself gets annoyed that he's he his is the name gets brought that gets brought up any time they underperform. But in this case, he was taken off at half time. Was there any explanation from the manager afterwards? Well, Manuel was in the mood for giving very few explanations, so we don't know about that one. But the suggestion is that that was a tactical substitution, um, which it's quite it's a slightly dangerous thing for Pellegrini to do, considering Torre's propensity to um, well express. Dissatisfaction. That's a big. It's a that's a big decision by Pellegrini taking off Toure, knowing that he, he is his sensitive type. I mean, this when this happens to a big player. I mean, it happened earlier in the season when the same thing happened to John Terry at Manchester City. Uh, he came off at halftime. That became uh, quite a, a controversial decision by Mourinho. But it was obvious that Jose Mourinho was sending a message uh, at that point. It was like this isn't this isn't good enough, and he and he kind of took off the captain. I mean, Pellegrini seems to have have been doing the same thing with Toure. Yes, he does, yeah. I mean, listen, at this point, you would expect uh, that there's some sort of mystery groin strain might appear as to the reason why it happened and all that type of thing, uh, which is often the way uh, things can happen for Manchester City. But, you know, even he played terribly in the first half and actually probably did deserve to be uh, uh, subbed at half-time. So I think Pellegrini actually made the right decision there. And City did play a little better, at the second, at the beginning of that second half, they did show much more spirit than they had during that first half when uh, Torre and uh, Jesus Navas had been in the team. John uh, Jurgen Klopp, um, you have you quoted him in your piece saying essentially what we what we do is quite simple. We look at the opposition, we figure out what they want to do, and we try to figure out what we can do that they won't feel so confident against. I mean, that makes it sound. Really easy. I mean, why doesn't everybody do that? And what exactly was were Liverpool doing? Was it was it evident? Um, was it evident from the press box what Liverpool were doing to sort of to break down Manchester City? I mean, Manuel Pellegrini didn't seem to be able to work it out, but maybe the journalists could. Well, I suppose if you look at the first goal, um, uh, Philip Coutinho pushes on to Bakary Sanya, catches him napping, um, and plays in Firmino, who essentially sets up the own goal. And it did seem to be pushing City back in the fullback positions, where if you actually watch City at home most of the time, those fullbacks are bombing forward. So that you're pinning them back, forcing them into mistakes. And that essentially is, from, from what I can see, I've seen a couple of Klopp games so far, and obviously sort of Dortmund a few times as well, is you push the, the, the opposition into mistakes and then you attack as fast as you can and try and score. Now that is actually probably... A, that sounds simple, but 
simple works, doesn't it? And the simple seems to work with the same group of players that really looked completely confused by the way things were under Brendan Rodgers, who, towards the end of his time at Liverpool, overcomplicated things, had lost what he thought was the the, uh, the simple uh, the simple theory of winning matches. Um, he'd lo- I mean, the thing is, the one thing about the performance on Saturday is it did remind me of Liverpool at their best during that spring of 2014 under Rodgers, where that team pushed the opponents into mistakes by hustling them back and then attacking at great speed on the counter. Um, that was where Rodgers was at his simple best, and this is where Klopp uh, is going to achieve his success. The thing that you could say about Klopp um, is that in speaking after the game, he set his goals higher than winning 4-1 at Manchester City. He expects better from the team. And I think if you look at the best managers in football, um, Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, they're the ones that always want more after a victory like that. Um, And I think maybe the problem with Brendan Rodgers was that a big victory like that came as such a surprise and he could never, he wanted to, you know, celebrate that, which is understandable. It's a perfectly human reaction, but Klopp's different to that. And I think that's why I would expect Liverpool to be far more successful under Klopp than they were under Rodgers. Will that be the case against the lesser teams also? And this is a trend that people are picking up on already, that that simplistic, albeit really entertaining game plan that he's put in place already seems to be tailor-made to put the more talented opponents under pressure. But maybe the complexity that you need to bring into into the equation is more necessary against some of the lesser teams who aren't going to put themselves in positions to be hustled like that. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's right. And I think Klopp himself admitted that after the game. Uh, as did James Milner, who we spoke to afterwards as well. Um, I think the key to Liverpool's season, um, and they, they, I mean, they're only six points behind Arsenal in fourth place, a key to bridging that gap is actually winning home matches, which I don't think they've won a Premier League home match yet under uh, Jurgen Klopp. So they, they, need to, yeah, they need to find a way to tempt teams out of their shell. And I mean, the Premier League has become the league where counter-attacking has become you know, nine-tenths of the law almost, where, where teams are, that, that counter best um, are doing best. I mean, Leicester City obviously lead the league, and that's what they do better than anyone at the moment. Um, the only exception to that is the, uh, the plodding relentlessness of Manchester United. But... Um, <laughs> the, the, but um, yeah, it's home form that's going to turn around Liverpool, but away from home, they're a fairly terrifying proposition, I would say. John, just uh, looking at the fact, the way this season is playing out so far, you mentioned the, the plotting relentless of Manchester United there at the top, just behind, tucked in behind Leicester City. Uh, Manchester, Manchester City and Arsenal are, are in the top four. And outside there, uh, two of the teams who managed to beat Man City 4-1, Liverpool and Tottenham. Um, Tottenham, again, very impressive against West Ham the other day. West Ham, remember, are a team that have beaten most of the top sides this year. Um, at this early stage, uh, who do you fancy for the top four? Oh, come on now, Joe, that's tough. Um, OK, well, I, well, obviously, we can rule out Chelsea. Let's do that first. Um, I think Manchester United will get there through that plodding, plodding relentlessness. Um, I have to say that I can't be romantic and see Leicester being part of it. Um, so I think there is a there is a gap. That essentially, you've got between Liverpool and Tottenham, haven't you? If we think that Arsenal will get there, 
So Arsenal have distinct injury problems. I think one thing that Liverpool could maybe learn from Tottenham, just thinking about it, is Tottenham play a similar pressing game, and uh, and they seem to be gaining success at home. So maybe Klopp could maybe learn a little bit from that. But I do think that Liverpool and Tottenham will be in the mix for those top four places. All right, brilliant stuff, John Byrne. Thanks a million. Cheers. What about that theory again that Liverpool will certainly look so far to be in a position to pull off these big results against the other big teams, but maybe when they have to try to pull players... You, know, you, see, you see the way Barcelona, for it's a ridiculous comparison, but the very best teams in the world at Barcelona can actually pull a team like Real Madrid out of shape with the ball. That's clearly something that Liverpool aren't set up to do at the moment. So will that be their issue? Or should I even be raining on Liverpool's parade here? They're just after beating Man City 4-1. Well, it's a, it's amazing results, you know. I mean, uh, I mean a, a result which was matched by Tottenham uh, at White Hart Lane a couple of a couple of weeks ago, but it is it's it's amazing. Now I suppose the thing that you notice that has been the pattern so far. What you're saying there of of Liverpool's games under Klopp in terms of when they beat Chelsea three one, when they beat City four um, one, they did have a bit of space. Certainly in the second half against Chelsea, the first half against Chelsea, Chelsea scored early and then sat back, and they scored a goal thanks to Coutinho um, beating a beating a man effectively. Um, so they, I think they do have the ability to do that. And then they've also got Benteke, of course, who's the kind of centre-forward who should be able to score in a crowded penalty area. I think he's still the only player to have scored at Old Trafford this season uh, with, that, uh, with that overhead kick. Um, he's, a kind, he's a player who should be able to make the difference in, in that type of game. I mean, what they, they beat, wasn't it Bournemouth in one of the early games of the season, Benteke scored that type of goal. Um, that you maybe need in the home matches. So mm. no, I think they, I think they've got. I mean, they, they lost the Palace. Palace are a very good team this season. Um, yeah. But I think they, I think they've got it, and they, they're improving at such a rate that I wouldn't be surprised they start winning home games as well. Just a reminder before we wrap things up here: the official launch of Second Captain Sports Annual Volume One is this Wednesday, November twenty fifth, at the Grand Social in Dublin. You can email live at secondcaptains.com with this if you want to go along to that with the subject. Sorry, on what's that email address again? Live at secondcaptains.com with the subject tickets, and just tell us your own name, how many tickets you're looking for, and what your favourite book or annual was as a child, and why that was your favourite book or annual. Uh, the funnier stories, the better. The more touching. We like touching stories when you reflect back. Well, mostly funny. Reading. Mostly funny, to yeah. be honest. Don't, Humor's know, good. Saccharine <laughs> sweet, we don't like. You know. Brand new podcast out a little later today. We'll be talking about two defeats from two for Leinster in Europe and a big week for Irish golfers, McDowell, McElroy. Uh, Paul Dunn, late last week, got his tour card. So uh, it'll be a golf rama Murph, on that podcast. Thanks very much, Ken. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Owen. Gareth Bale will love it. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> will, yeah. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off.